provide almost 100% of the conventional forces, civil affairs, and psychological operations capabilities. Uh, and, you know, we need to be able to speak at, at all echelons uh, on, you know, what makes us special. What are our capabilities and how can those capabilities actually improve their lethality uh, or shape what's going on in the competition phase? So if we have to go to large-scale ground combat operations, uh, we can actually enhance their lethality during those periods. Welcome to the 1CA Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. We have a very special guest, Major General Daryl Guthrie. He's the Commanding General of the U.S. Army Civil Affairs and Psychological Operations Command, often referred to as USA KPOC. General Guthrie began his military career in 1985, commissioned as a second lieutenant after graduating from UAB. He then became a king of battle and field artillery, completed the Civil Affairs course, and went on to the Commanding General Staff College and the Army War College. At some point, General Guthrie found time to earn a law degree. He has successfully held command and staff positions at Company Through Division, Joint and Combined Headquarters, and in support of the Department of State. His experience in civil affairs is extensive and throughout the country. And, sir, I'm not sure if you have time to do this anymore, but your civilian occupation is managing your own law firm. Uh, And for anyone who has attended UAB or Texas Tech, they will happily call you a fellow Blazer and Red Raider. General Guthrie, welcome to the 1CA Podcast. Hey, John, thanks uh, Thanks for having me, and uh, go Blazers, uh, and I think we say something like, get your guns up at, uh, at Texas Tech. <laughs> Good. So are you still a resident of, you're on sort of active duty orders now, but you're from Texas, is that right? Well, I grew up in, uh, I actually grew up in Alabama, just outside of Birmingham, uh, but have lived ever since I came off of active duty uh, in Texas, most of that time up in Lubbock, Texas, where I was introduced to civil affairs in the 413th Civil Affairs Battalion there in Lubbock. But uh, with this job, uh, and now that my wife and I are empty nesters, we actually moved to North Carolina. So I'm a, I'm a North Carolina resident for the time being. That's great. And I also read that um, you have four children with your wife, uh, three of whom are serving the military. So this has become a family business for you. Yeah, yeah. Our oldest son and daughter-in-law are actually captains in the Marine Corps, stationed at Quantico uh, at present. And then I have a son that's in the 101st, uh, he's actually in Iraq right now. And then a son that's at uh, at West Point in his third year. And then I have a daughter who's a physical therapist who can take care of me when I get old. <laughs> that's good. Well, congratulations to you and your family. So there's a lot to cover. Um, we got some questions that came in from listeners from the podcast and a lot of people who wanted to get introduced to the command. So if we could, let's set the stage for listeners by describing the breadth and depth of personnel that are under USA KPOC, uh, which is much more than civil affairs. Yeah, so USA KPOC is comprised of 13,000 soldiers and then an additional 1,000 civilians uh, that are located in 30 states. 
divided into three types of units, civil affairs, psychological operations, uh, and information operations. Uh, and because of that, I, I say that I'm the home to conventional forces influence capabilities. So information operations uh, is a separate thing, but then civil affairs and psychological operations are uh, inf considered information-related capabilities. Uh, and in my vernacular, I think we influence other people. on the battlefield, organizations uh, that may be on future battlefields or in future countries. And I view USKPOC is that we're the most globally engaged, capable, lethal, and combat-ready command in the Army Reserve, and that we are actually the premier influence operations headquarters of 2025 and beyond. That's kind of my vision uh, for the command. On any given day, we have 300 to 500 people uh, who are outside uh, CONUS. Uh, so whether that's Sub-Saharan Africa or Eastern Europe uh, or Southeast Asia, you know, we're, we're kind of everywhere, and we remain globally engaged. So three to 500 people is a lot, especially when you're looking at the structure of those units, because I'm on a team of five people, so... Would you say that that reflects there are numerous teams and companies spread throughout the country, spread throughout the world? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, civil affairs in particular still still is built around a civil affairs team alpha. Uh, and so in many of the places we have people, they are indeed in four- or five-person teams. Uh, and, you know, interacting with local audiences uh, and, and trying to stay abreast of what's impacting uh, a local community. Uh, you know, within the last uh, couple of weeks, there's been some really good public affairs coverage. I'm looking across at my public affairs officer right now, but some good public affairs coverage of what some of our teams are doing in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and, I, and, you know, and I think, it, you know, at the start, it's that kind of basic building block of the team uh, that matters. Uh, and then companies then are also in some of these places because, uh, you know, our companies plug in uh, with brigade combat teams and uh, then our battalions plug in to division headquarters. So at least in one case, we have a, a battalion minus that's plugged in with the organization that works out of Poland right now. So, you know, we're continuing uh, to stay engaged uh, globally, something I'm really proud of our soldiers about. Yeah, definitely the type of forces that punch above their weight. Sir, I wanted to, to ask you about the, the Ready Force X. There's been a shift under General Lucky's command of the Army Reserve to tag some units as Ready Force X. How many of your CA, PSYOP, and IO units are in this Ready Force status? Yeah, so so without trying to provide exact exact numbers, but you can say that a little over the third of the total command is currently part of the ready force. That's kind of evenly distributed across civil affairs and psychological operations. 
uh, and even has some involvement from the first training brigade to help train people up if we actually had to launch uh, somewhere. And, you know, and I think the thing to remember about the ready force is, is it's a way for the Army Reserve to get after this idea of fighting fast. You know, I've got an old civil affairs mentor, recently retired Major General Mark McQueen, who always used to say, you know, if you're not ready, you're not relevant. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the challenge that we always face in the Army Reserve. Uh, and I think the ready force allows us to get after that. So whether it's uh, personnel readiness, uh, equipment or maintenance readiness, or even training readiness, it gives us a focus to get after that. Right. Sir, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned since taking command? I've learned a lot uh, in the 18 months that I've been in command. I, you know, I, in some ways, I was, I've had sort of a non-traditional route in that I, I served as a field artillery officer, and then I served primarily as a civil affairs officer up through brigade command, uh, and then I. I went off and commanded the 104th Training Division, uh, which worked with U.S. Army Cadet Command. And so coming back to the organization, uh, I, I had some preconceived notions, but others uh, have been uh, a lot of learning. And it was a steep learning curve because we adjust for about six months into the, to the ready force uh, construct, which was different for the Army Reserve and certainly for use of KPOC uh, to get after. So some of the things that I've learned during that time uh, is the idea that people matter uh, the most. And so our soldiers and their ability to be duty, uh, military operational skill qualified matters. Because those, those are the soldiers that you have uh, that can deploy. And then as subsets of that, you have to look at things that really get at the health of the force. And again, those are all people-related things. You know, medical readiness then matters. Deployability matters. And because in each of those areas, especially if you're not deployable, well, that bleeds away, even if you're duty MOS qualified, it bleeds away manning readiness. So this idea of manning the force is now my number one priority. And when it comes to our senior non-commissioned officers uh, and our officers, we just have to do uh, a better job of, on the enlisted side, making sure they're, they get through the schooling uh, and are promoted at the appropriate times to fill what are vacant positions for non-commissioned officers. And on the officer side, it means getting people into either the civil affairs or the psychological operations captain's career course pipeline or if they've already had a CAPS career course, getting them into phase three and phase four of that course as a qualification course. And it's really, really important for our company grade officers because that's feeding the future. Uh, we've started to look at that 
Uh, we're focused on it more now than I think the command has been in quite some time because we've got to have more uh, officers who are duty MOS qualified to lead the organization. I'll tell you, the next thing would be is that leadership really matters. Uh, and I think we all know that's the case. But, you know, leaders matter. Uh, it's leaders that get people to to do things that they think they cannot do. You know, the leadership of use of use of KPOC, I think, is is awesome. Now that said, I think there's some aspects of leadership, uh, especially at the senior level, that I've learned. And one of those things is that at the senior level, we really do have to make data-driven decisions. And there's, we're awash in data. Uh, it's a question of are we going to use it to help us make decisions. Uh, and thing is, in my opinion, I think we use a lot of data downrange to help us make decisions, whether if, whether it's in civil information management, whether it's in tracking people or relationships. Uh, I think we are very comfortable using that data when we're deployed. I just think we've got to relearn the art of using some of that data uh, to help us make better decisions about the future of use of KPOC. Uh, and so I'm certainly doing that. Uh, it's kind of behind the command strategy that I'm going to be able to roll out here in a few weeks uh, that help us see what have a have a vision or a pathway to the future, right? Uh, which I think is important for us. It help us get all on a kind of a common operating picture. Folks, you've been listening to the 1CA podcast and interview with Major General Daryl Guthrie, Commanding General of UCK POC. When we come back, I'll ask General Guthrie about his priorities for the next few years and his vision for civil affairs. Mark your calendars for the 2019 Civil Affairs Roundtable to be held on Tuesday, 2 April at the National Guard Armory Conference in Washington, D.C., this year's roundtable will conclude the seminal discussion of optimizing civil affairs started at last fall's symposium at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and in the 2018-19 civil affairs issue papers to be published before the roundtable. At the roundtable, the discussion shifts to a more granular identification of .mil PFP pathways to guide CA modernization and continuous investment in an innovative and adaptive force that is well-networked in planning, in operational relationships, and persistently engaged and aligned regionally to facilitate political military goals and objectives. In addition to the speakers and panel discussions, attending members and friends of the regiment will conclude by looking at how to advance civil affairs at a more ambitious multilateral scale over the next year's cycle. In order to maximize official travel for uniformed members of the regiment, the roundtable immediately precedes the PKSOI Training and Education Workshop which will be held on 3 to 5 April at Carlisle Barracks, Pennsylvania. For more information, including the agenda and registration, go to the Civil Affairs Association website, which is at civilaffairsassoc.org. Hi, welcome back to the 1CA Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. 
We're continuing our conversation with Major General Daryl Guthrie, the Commanding General, U.S. Army Civil Affairs and Psychological Operations Command. Sir, what are your priorities for the next few years? What's your vision for CA? Yeah, so so I kind of start with, I, I have four lines of effort uh, that I'm, I push on uh, and that I believe are starting to be understood across uh, across the command. So soldier readiness, which I've already spent a lot of time talking about when I'm talking about kind of individual soldiers being ready. Uh, the second line of effort is combat readiness. Now that encompasses equipping the force, maintaining that equipment, uh, and then collectively training uh, to be able you know, to excel uh, in, in what is going to be a different battlefield uh, in the future. Organization readiness is the third line of effort, and that's important because, you know, the definition of Army leadership uh, has a phrase that's not normal to other definitions of leadership, and it says, and improve the organization. The, the reality is, is that the civil affairs formations that exist today are substantially like the ones that existed when I was a senior captain uh, and then a major getting ready to deploy to Afghanistan. And so looking at the organization and making the changes that may need to make be made that make us relevant for the future. Now, again, the building block of the team is something that I think the Army is comfortable with, but it may be in some of the things that help us add value to maneuver formations or the interagency even, or our partners, is where we have to really look at how our organization looks. Now, most of that starts right at the, right at the top at the use of KPOC headquarters uh, to make sure that we're a headquarters uh, that can man, equip, train, develop leaders, and, and be organized for the future because that's what the use of KPOC headquarters uh, is designed to do. Uh, finally, is this idea of being the senior mission command for the Army Reserve and the Conventional Forces Army for civil affairs and psychological operations. We provide almost 100% of the conventional forces, civil affairs, and psychological operations capabilities. Uh, and, you know, we need to be able to speak at, at all echelons uh, on, you know, what makes us special? What are our capabilities? And how can those capabilities actually improve their lethality? Uh, or shape what's going on in the competition phase. So if we have to go to large-scale ground combat operations, uh, we can actually enhance their lethality during those periods. Uh, and so I think we have to, you know, I think we have to be able to speak authoritatively on that. And I think personally, there's some voices out there within our command that can do that exceptionally well. Uh, I'm not certain always that I'm that I can talk to it as well as I think the organization as a whole can talk to it. Uh, we're trying to bring in some some innovation to the command, so we're doing some what I like to call micro experiments 
where we maybe look at something that we can come back later and inform the civil affairs or the psychological operations proponent, force modernization proponent, which is at the Special Warfare Center in school, kind of inform them on, hey, this is what our customers want. Uh, and so we're undertaking those kind of micro experiments to look at some of those things. So we have one of those that's ongoing right now in the information operations uh, area uh, where we're looking at how we fuse intelligence to perhaps have better, uh, what somebody told me were network attack analytics. I don't know what that means exactly, <laughs> but we're going to look at it just a little bit uh, and see if we can, you know, inform those that we support better about a future battlefield that may be, and no doubt will be, a lot different than the one that we fought on in Afghanistan or Iraq over the last uh, 15 years. Right. So does that mean building the force to combat a near-peer threat like China, Russia, or a, a massive ground force that may be needed for a place like North Korea? Well, I think, you know, I think that's kind of, that's kind of part of it, okay? Uh, I, I think one of the, you know, one of the things about multi-domain operations is, you know, the idea is to be able to compete better uh, first. Uh, but if we can't compete, it's to be able to prevail in large-scale combat operations. Uh, I've, I've pulled out my, my three my FM 3-0 while we were talking. One of the things that jumps out at me, uh, and, and this is right at the start, kind of paragraph 1.4, and it says, future battlefields will include non-combatants, and they will be crowded in and around uh, large cities. Uh, enemies will employ, employ conventional tactics, terror, criminal activity, and information warfare to further complicate operations and to an ever-increasing degree activities in the information environment are inseparable from ground operations so when i read that even once we even once we transition to large-scale combat operations i think you can see the importance of civil affairs uh, within that uh, you know we're while, while the Army's been looking for a few years at operating in densely populated urban terrain, uh, I think there's a huge impact that civil affairs can have in providing advice to commanders who may have to operate in, uh, around, or through uh, densely populated urban terrain whether it's us helping provide them a better, you know, a better common operating picture that takes in civil components of the battle space, whether it's being able to see infrastructure that potentially could be damaged by our combat operations, uh, or whether it's to be able to identify, you know, those protected targets, you know, that can be used for bad things, but that also maybe provide you know, care for civilians. Uh, so I, from my standpoint, I don't believe it's an either or idea. I think we help commanders compete. 
Uh, and then if we transition to large-scale combat operations, you know, I think we're a valued partner in that space as well. Right. Sir, I could uh, go on to additional questions here, the, the two that I mentioned earlier. Is there anything else uh, before we do that that you'd like to share about any documents that you'll be unveiling to the force? We're working right now on a command strategy uh, that looks out seven to ten years. And so the idea is is to give people some some left and right limits, or if you live out in West Texas, we call that keeping it between the bar ditches. And so my thought is, is that people don't just need to know what I'm thinking, but they need to know what the organization is thinking uh, for the future. That's especially important for leaders. It also helps to inform the budgeting process for the future. Uh, and, you know, there are two aspects to that that I think of. So one of them is it informs our higher headquarters, uh, which is the United States Army Reserve Command, uh, on what our requirements are to train, what our requirements are to, to operate, what's the third largest command uh, in the Army Reserve. Uh, but the other part is, is what do we need for the future? And this is a challenge. Uh, I really commend uh, the Special Warfare Center and School for, you know, being our partner and us doing some things that had not that, that I had not seen done, at least when I was a brigade commander. Uh, and that's we now have a quarterly meeting with them to take on action items to help move both civil affairs and psychological operations into the future. Uh, and that's important because at the bureaucracy level of our Army, uh, equipping decisions get made years and years into the future. Right. Uh, and so this is a way for us to, uh, the strategic plan or command strategy is a way for us to have that roadmap uh, into the future uh, and for those that will, that will follow not just me but even you. Uh, as they look out into the future of civil affairs or psychological operations. That's good to hear, sir. Sir, I wanted to close this conversation by asking you a question about visibility and appreciation of the CA forces. Many civil affairs association meetings have included discussions about the need to increase demand for CA forces or to secure greater visibility and appreciation of our capabilities for the Army and the Marine Corps. Sir, what's your yeah, maybe personal view on whether there's a sales problem within DOD or the larger national security community. So, John, this one is one where I'm going to give my, uh, I'll give some personal opinions here. So recognize that these are, these are my opinions and not necessarily the opinions of the Department of Defense. So do we have a sales problem? I think we do. Okay. I, and so I've, I've tried to get after this in a couple of ways and communicate this kind of down echelon. Uh, and it's this idea first that, that one of the things we do is enhance lethality. Uh, so former Secretary Mattis uh, began talking about lethality. The National Defense Strategy talks about lethality. The Army talks about readiness and lethality. Uh, and so Part of what we have to do is we be able, we have to be able to talk in terms that the Army understands. Uh, and part of that is how do we enhance 
uh, lethality. Additionally, we're now starting to talk about this information environment. Uh, and again, I kind of go back to the three components of use of KPOC or civil affairs, psychological operations, and information operations. Uh, I've said here at the headquarters, uh, and as I've gone out and visited some places recently, we all wear the same patch. Uh, and therefore, we've got to be willing to offer solutions to commanders. And those commanders, you know, have a lot of data points coming at them, a lot of inputs coming to them from a lot of people. And, and I think we, I think we each of those areas have to be able to speak uh, to how we can all influence the battle space. So we can't be parochial. So we can't just say, well, I'm a civil affairs officer, or I'm a psychological operations non-commissioned officer, or I'm an information operator. We've, we truly have to be able uh, to offer solutions uh, to those that we support. I think another piece of it is this idea of we've got to we've got to be innovative again. You know, civil affairs in particular is just celebrating its hundredth anniversary. You know, has a great history, and we shouldn't lose touch with that history. But we have to recognize that the future may look a lot different, and we have to be able to look at the future and perhaps come up with solutions for the future that are a little bit different. Uh, you know, civil affairs, the civil affairs uh, concept for 2025 and beyond, you know, it spends a good bit of time talking about civil engagement and civil reconnaissance. Uh, I think we probably have to embrace those concepts. We have to be able to be designed so that we can actually extend that ability to do civil reconnaissance. Now, that could be with things like a greater application of drones to be able to see the battlefield more, but it also may be in those areas that right now that only that are primarily done by our information operators where we're starting to look at, you know, social media to be able to scrape things that may be going on in an area from social media feeds. And that's something that we've looked at with civil information management, but we've got to drive that down into the organization. But ultimately, I've always felt that civil affairs is about how we think. Uh, it's not about equipping as much as it's about applying our knowledge. And, you know, our comparative advantage in the Army Reserve is, is that we come with civilian skill sets. Uh, and we've got a, you know, we've got a variety of them in the Army Reserve as a whole, but we definitely have a variety of them in civil affairs. Right. And we have to be able to apply those skills. I think if we do that, I think there will be a demand for our services, both in the competition phase uh, and in large-scale ground combat operations, as well as what we call, you know, phase four activities or military governance type activities. And I, to me, the future's bright, but we are in a bit of a race against time to make sure that people understand our capabilities while at the same time we're, we're probably changing some of our capabilities to, to be able to provide 
the best benefit on the battlefields of the future. That's right. Yeah, we need to adapt and evolve, and, and that's part of the reason how we're trained in civil affairs and SOP and, and I.O. Um, and I would recommend to the listeners to continue to build up your personal professional skills. There's, uh, for example, language money that's on the table for anyone who's CA qualified. You know, if you're not learning a foreign language, um, you're leaving money on the table that uh, the command is offering for you to learn a language that would be relevant not only to your uh, military career, but also to your civilian careers. And um, oh, yeah. there's a lot John, of self-training out there. Oh, sorry. John, you're exactly right. I mean, that's a fantastic point because I know for me personally, I've always felt that while my civilian career informed my military career, I always felt that my military career was informing my civilian career right. and how I could advise clients on how to lead through a problem, not just legally, but actually lead through the problem as well. General Guthrie, Commanding General of the U.S. Army Civil Affairs and Psychological Operations Command. Sir, the future is bright for CA. Uh, I thank you very much for being on the 1CA podcast and uh, wish you well with the rest of your command. Hey, John, thank you very much, and thanks for taking the time uh, to uh, let me uh, spend a little bit of time with you and talk about how I see the command for the future. Uh, I'm a big podcast listener, and (laughs) I indeed listen to the 1CA podcast. Sir, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Take care, sir. All right. Thank you. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.